this is episode number 31 of Sticky Beak. In this episode, we chat to Josh Fagan, the founder of pharmaceutical cannabis company Althea. After hitting the young rich list in 2019, Josh's passion for the medicinal cannabis industry and skills in management and sales are taking the ASX-listed company global. Josh took us through how he pivoted from successfully franchising car stereo installations with Strathfield Group to starting up the now ASX-listed Althea. If you're interested in health, wellness startups, medicinal products, or navigating untapped industries, you'll learn a lot from this episode. Welcome to Sticky Beak, Josh. Hi, Dan. How are you this morning? Very well, very well. And you're joining us from the UK at 11 p.m. for you, I believe. Yep, yep. Um, it's my third shift of the day, actually. So um, starts with Australia in the morning and UK during the day. I'm obviously based in, in London now and uh, Canada in the evening. So, um, yeah, last call of the day. <laughs> yeah. The, how do you actually manage that? I've um, I've done some work. My wife's Swedish, so I spent a bit of time over there when we're able to travel. Um and it's a kind of a good time zone because you catch the end of the day in Australia, you catch the start of the, uh, sorry, the start of the US day and then, well, part of it anyway. And then obviously Europe's, you're on right on the money. So how do you manage your day and, and your time? Do you split it up or how do you work it? The, the daylight savings um, time works quite well now in the, um, in the Northern Hemisphere summer. It's a bit trickier when Australia is in daylight savings over there summer, but it does, it works out pretty well because I start my day usually around sort of 6 a.m. Um, and that's 3 p.m. in the afternoon um, back home in, in um, uh, Melbourne and, and, and Sydney is also um, quite busy for us. Um, so it's good. I get the tail end of their day. Um, then I, I usually uh, trundle off into the, uh, the office here and spend a few hours with the UK team. Um, and on most days, I also have contact with uh, uh, our guys in Canada, in our, um, our business there called Peak Processing Solutions. And they're a good sort of five hours behind. So it's, it's not too bad at all, catching up with them in the evenings. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. Challenging at times with everyone trying to coordinate across the different um, time zones and, and continents, but we managed to make it work. Yeah, gotcha. It'd be a bit harder when you've got each uh, time zone popping in throughout the day. I kind of liked it catching the end of the Australian day and most of my work's here. So uh, it's kind of nice because everyone shuts off after a few hours. So your first few hours of the day are on calls and emails and all that sort of thing. And then you get the rest of the day to kind of focus. So that was nice, but yeah, you'd have people popping in as the day progresses. So it'd be a bit more challenging. <laughs> all good. So, so we'd like to get some uh, background on our guests, Josh, where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in uh, Melbourne um, in the, in the Eastern suburbs um, so yeah, pretty much spent most of my early career in, in, in Melbourne, a lot of time in Sydney because out of university, I was working for a, a value-based retailer called Strathfield Group, um, and their head office was in Glebe and I was the state manager for Victoria. And at one stage, I think we had about 48 stores. Um, so I did a lot of traveling around between all the different outlets and 
back and forth to Sydney, um, which, uh, you know, it's only an hour flight, but um, the days were long um, back then. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's been an interesting journey to, to go from essentially retail, which was um, originally car audio focused, and then they pivoted towards mobile telephony. Um, they're a big Optus retailer for, for quite a long time, um, Strathfield. So, um, you know, really immersed myself in, into that um, telco space, which became more media um, than anything. Uh, and, and eventually I asked them if I could license um, a certain area of the business, which was based on um, car dealerships and working with them for, for pre-delivery packages vehicles, things like GPS navigation and um, parking um, safety systems and things like that before, well before they were standard. Um, and it was good. We managed to build that out into a, a national operation. Um, and in 2016, after running that for about five years, um, you know, sort of uh, sold up everything and and moved into medicinal cannabis because it was what I was very passionate about for a few different reasons, but also saw that it was um, a big trend coming out of North America. And like most things, um, it, it does seem to blow over into Australia and other parts of the world. Yeah, gotcha. What was the lead into Strathfield? Um, and before we, you go into that, I, I will mention Strathfield were pretty massive back in the 2000s, particularly when everyone was, you know, getting the subwoofers and everything for their cars. You head down to Strathfield and you get the CD players and all that aftermarket gear. Um, what was your transition from um, education into working for Strathfield? Yeah, funnily enough, I, I didn't really know anything about the company before I got a job with them. Um, I was actually uh, working for a, a, another company and um, my boss um, went over there and uh, kind of, recruited me with him um, straight out of uni. Um, so I wasn't right into the car audio scene. Um, I guess it was more a position of convenience than anything, but um, I did a, a Bachelor of Business at university. So it, it gave me access to a couple of areas that I was really passionate about being management um, and eventually marketing actually, because I, I, I did do a, a, a national marketing um, management role towards the end there. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting because we had um, a, a variety of people, not only within the, the, the business itself, but also the different categories that they were servicing, um, you know, kind of exposed me to a, a lot of different CPG things and, and, and some good stuff in technology as well. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned you ended up licensing um, from Strathfield and sort of starting your own thing. Um, how did that idea come about and what gave you the confidence that you could sort of go out on your own? Because um, it, it is a, a fairly unique move. Like most people start in a job and they'll start their own business, but actually spinning off from the job and maintaining a connection with that existing business is probably a bit more unique. How did that come about? Yeah, good question. It, it definitely, um, what I got into wasn't um, something I was passionate about, but um, when I was in the, the management roles within the company and um, saw them shifting their focus to uh, mobile telephony, um, I could see that they were um, neglecting a, a fairly profitable part of their business, which 
was the the vehicle installation stuff um and they were pretty much just leaving it to to rot because the big destination stores with all the speakers and subwoofers on the shelves were um you know very quiet because back then um uh, gray label um imports was the big thing or gray imports people bringing in um you know different brands internationally and being able to buy it much cheaper than you could at a retail shop in australia um so that just destroyed foot traffic um yet people would still present at stores with their own products and and have the the guys fit them and the profit margins were great um and because i had a lot of exposure to the profit and loss statements in in those businesses and also the mobile telephony um i realized that there was a good quid to be made but the the service itself had to improve um and you know it needed to be a lot more convenient and that was about taking the service to the people so the the um i guess the the offshoot um that i started was more about mobile installations um so we would have technicians go out to um consumers homes um to fit to their vehicles we could also supply products um of course if, if they needed it and yeah just um, managed to to build a good network of um actual car dealerships um which was um, good repeat business and exposed me to volume and and understanding how to get those type of deals and negotiations done as well so yeah it was it was interesting training wheels for a real world scenario and um yeah it's just about identifying i guess strengths and weaknesses and and acting at the right time got it and how long did you run that business for yeah it was about five years five or six years um which uh, it was about five actually so it, it came and went pretty quickly um i started it in 2011 and 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 sold it um early 2016 um so yeah it was it was a while and it was very hands-on doing um all the different stuff that business managers do in, in in you know small businesses um especially you know you do the bookkeeping uh you do the rostering you do the banking you do the the customer service stuff um obviously didn't touch a vehicle because i'm, I'm no good with my hands um and i just uh I'd, I'd stuff it up more than anything but um no it was a great experience yeah cool and so you got to the end of that five years and you'd become aware of a new market that was quite interesting to you yeah absolutely so um uh a good friend of mine family friend um who is uh quite the decent businessman and uh an investor out of seattle washington um he invested in a, a medicinal cannabis operation um, in that state, Washington, which was the second state to legalize in the US after Colorado. Um, and at the time, I couldn't believe it that they would be making um, cannabis legal because like a lot of people, you just default your thinking to the, um, you know, the propaganda and, and the stuff about the people smoking joints and pot and all that type of thing. But um once i looked a lot closer and and you know th these guys gave me a lot of education it was actually a lot more than that it was really changing people's lives and um i was just fascinated by how the whole thing became um such a movement and funnily enough people don't realize that the internet played a big role in 
in what has become legal cannabis markets. Um, and that's because people could share stories about what these different strains of cannabis were, were doing for health conditions. Um, and obviously the right people were picking up on that and breeding out um, different cultivars and things like that at their homes and, you know, treating family and friends and um, all of those wonderful experiences, um, you know, created patient cohorts that I guess um, the right people couldn't ignore any longer. Um, definitely started in, in North America and the US and states like California and Colorado, um, then moved north into, into, into Canada. And um, luckily that, that government were, oh, I guess, brave enough or savvy enough to, to look at it with the right lens and, and legalise um, a federal framework which created not just um, cultivation and manufacturing, but um, I guess the early version of patient access to, to medicinal cannabis. Um, and Australia wasn't too far behind. Uh, we all remember the stories about childhood epilepsy and, and kids having literally hundreds of thousands of seizures a year um, and reducing uh, those seizures with the use of cannabis oils down to, you know, two or three a year, just unbelievable stuff. And, um, you know, a, a, a culmination of all of that um, over the years, you know, that I was doing that other stuff, I just kept a close eye on things. And as soon as the Australian acted, uh, sorry, Australian government acted, so did I. Gotcha. It's a pretty big move to go from one industry to another and to particularly industry that's, you know, just getting started. Obviously, there's, you know, some green planes to be had there, but obviously something that you would foresee a lot of regulatory hurdles coming up, um, especially since the act was just being changed um, or introduced. So what was the thought process for you in terms of selling your existing business, which is already performing well, and then jumping into a completely new industry? Uh, it was a bit of a no brainer. I was still pretty young, you know, at the time, late twenties and, you're kind of invincible at that age as in you, you, you're not scared to jump. It's a bit different when you're older and you've got a family and things like that. But it was more just the, the passion was there and I wasn't really enjoying um, what I was doing. It was just a job. Um, uh, so it actually felt quite organic um, to, to move into this because I was doing you know, hundreds of hours of reading and stuff like that in any case and, and talking to all these experts overseas. Um, you know, I even at one stage had a meeting with the city attorney for um, Seattle um, that the friend of mine organised and um, just understanding what their approach was and, you know, the friction that he was having with the police force um, because he was just sick of prosecuting people for position at possession of cannabis and all these wonderful things. I just knew it was sort of um, something I wanted to do and um, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> how how difficult it was all going to be, um, you know, because my my background at that time wasn't pharmaceuticals at all. So, you know, things like regulatory and compliance and the Therapeutic Goods Administration and the Office of Drug Control and um, Health Canada and, and all these organisations, I had no idea what they were and what they did. Um, so, yeah, it was a steep learning curve, but, Something I, I learned very early on is um, you've got to know who you're dealing with. 
um, and we deal with some pretty serious people. Um, and that's why at Althea, um, you know, we, we surround ourselves or, or bring the best qualified people into the organisation um, who specialise in all these sort of things because it's not the industry where you can take shortcuts. Um, you know, not only are we patient orientated because, you know, the business was built on getting these products through to patients in Australia as quickly as possible, which the only way to do so was to import from Canada. Um, so, you know, I have the, the greatest respect for operators there for allowing us to do what we did. Um, but, it, you know, it was about um, being ethical and making sure that everything that you were doing were ticking the right boxes um, so that you could build a sustainable business that, um, you know, that people could trust in. Uh, and, and those people are patients um, in the most part that, you know, um, rely on these, these medicines um, to, to go about their daily lives. And then there's also the healthcare professionals, the, the specialists, the GPs, the pharmacists, um, seriously educated people that won't take you seriously unless you, um, uh, you have all the right um, supporting documentation. So um, a really strong drug master file, all these sorts of things. It's not just about growing plants en masse. Um, it's a whole lot more than that. Yeah, gotcha. Do you think that that naivety around what would be involved was actually a, a blessing when you got started? Because obviously you had a lot of enthusiasm and interest for the industry and what the what the potential was, but maybe if you're aware of all the work that would be involved, you might not have stepped through that door potentially. Yeah, I mean it's it's that old analogy. Innovation is exhausting. Um, the the regulators themselves, the governing bodies, um, didn't really have a blueprint for for what we were all setting about to to do together. Um, so everyone was um, was was going through something for the first time, and 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 I guess trying to react to situations and do the best they could with um, what was in front of them, and we were no different. So yeah, I, I think that um, that enthusiasm um, certainly helped. Um, you know, especially in the beginning when um, you know it was taking us. I think back to May two thousand and eighteen, which was the first month patients started consuming our, our products, um, four to be exact, um, and, and, you know, what the doctors and, and those four patients had to go through to even get there to the starting line was immense. The, the applications that the TGA um, were making the doctors do for each and every patient was taking them hours, and, and that was with our, our support. Um, and the turnaround times for the approvals before we could actually get a prescription written, the doctors could actually write a prescription, I should say, um, was, you know, two weeks. Um, and, and that's just a sort of a, a demonstration of the bureaucracy um, that, that we faced at the time. And um, it would have been pretty easy to pack up and leave. I think a lot of people, um, you know, maybe would have, but I, I always consider Althea as a bit of an icebreaker. Um, because everywhere we go, we seem to be doing things for the first time and allowing people to, to follow um, and, you know, believe that or not, it doesn't really matter. It won't change our, our mission and um, something that we did pretty cool um, 
was create a piece of technology in Australia, um, which is the world's only um, uh, registered medical device for, for medical cannabis, um, which is called Althea Concierge. And it does a lot of things for, for patients, doctors and, and pharmacists, but the, the first big thing it did was make that application process electronic um, to a point where now a, a brand new doctor that wants to prescribe Althea products the system remains the same, but they can do that application um, in our platform in about four minutes. Um, and they're usually getting the approval to write the prescription in less than 24 hours. Um, so that innovative thinking allowed us to, you know, uh, identify a problem, um, but create a solution for it, um, which, you know, is, is good because uh, it's about getting the medication into these people's hands. Um, and these obstacles for me are there to climb. And I think if you do it with respect, you realise that the system, even though it seems so difficult when you're looking at it for the first time, um, is actually there to protect people and guide companies to, to do the right thing and, and put in really strong infrastructure. Um, so, yeah, daunting, uh, but, but worth going through the, um, through the pain. Yeah, gotcha. The that process or the innovation you mentioned with that platform, how much time does that save on average for the doctors? Yeah, lots the the digital solution. So it's 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 not just the um, uh, they call it a, a SASB application, the the um, special access scheme pathway that's available for medicinal cannabis as an unlicensed medicine in Australia. Um, that's something that it does that saves them a lot of time, but it's actually the, the before and after. Um, so the, the platform itself provides a lot of information about the products. Um, it, it gives them clinical evidence to support the use of the products for certain indications or, or guidance for that. Um, it provides them with clinical decision-making tools, which are all based on real-world evidence um, and, and data supporting the use of our products, um, you know, by real-world patients, that means. Um, which, you know, gets them um, over the, the hurdle that is they weren't taught this at medical school. It's not a licensed medicine the same way that, uh, you know, opioids are and that type of thing. Um, it's, it's not as easy as just whipping out a prescription pad and a pen and, and, and writing a drug. There's, there's more to it than that. But... Um, if the doctors see value in the treatment, especially it starts with, um, you know, their patients with unmet needs that traditional medicines just haven't worked for them for whatever reason, um, if you give them enough reason, they'll try it. Um, and then you take them through the process um, so that they can actually do it. Um, but then they need to see it for themselves. And, and this is where a lot of suppliers get off the bus. Um, you know, there, there hasn't been enough care put into what the treatment actually looks like for a patient for the very first time. So Althea Concierge, um, it actually provides the patients with um, a virtual treatment plan um, that the, the doctor issues them um, to their smartphone actually. And it tells them how much of the medicine to take and when and actually records the, the treatment live, um, especially over the first two or three weeks, which is really important in medical cannabis, it's the titration period reports that back to their doctor so that when they go in for their checkup um, and, and assess um, how the, uh, the treatment went, they have actual data points for that. 
rather than it just being sort of hit and miss. So yeah, it's um it's a great tool and just another reason why companies need to embrace technology and get left behind generally if you don't. Yeah, that's very cool. And I'd imagine as technology evolves and smart devices or wearables um, that can track data points on um, like your body um, could integrate with that kind of system really efficiently as well to deliver some really interesting insights for the efficacy of the um, what the what's being delivered to the patient. Yep, absolutely. No, sky's the limit when it comes to that sort of stuff. And we're doing a lot of research and development on on new and innovative products, um, including preparations and and the way um, patients administer the the active ingredients, so to speak, or active pharmaceutical ingredients. And there's many of them in in our products because they're they're what we call whole plant or full plant extracts, um, which is good. So it's it's not a synthetic um, cannabinoid. It's it's not an isolate. Um, they're, um, you know, the, the plant in, in, in all its glory and um, people kind of might think it's all the same, but it's actually not. It's, it's a lot harder to mass produce full spectrum products and, and remain within the, the range, the, the consistency of your labelled products over and over and over again, um, which is really important because in uh, medicinal cannabis, there's something called the entourage effect and it's it's all the major and minor cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids or whatever's left of them anyway in a cannabis oil preparation, um, doing what they do um, to, to um, you physio uh, physiologically. Um, and if you get that efficacy out of that, that product, um, you need to know that it's going to be there for you, um, you know, for the long term. And you know, when you're growing plants and harvesting them, Obviously, you have to make sure that there's a lot of control in that so that you can deliver through the same active ingredient time and time again. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's interesting on that, on that front and, and bioavailability and onset and offset and things like that will, will definitely come into play, maybe even around wearables. This episode of Sticky Beak is brought to you by Digital Deluxe. If you're sick of digital agencies that overpromise and underdeliver, you need to speak to Digital Deluxe. We can't guarantee miracles, but we can guarantee great service and a logical ROI-focused approach. Visit www.digitaldeluxe.com.au forward slash stickybeak to access our special offer for Sticky Beak listeners. So you guys uh, farm your own product? So we, um, we, we don't. We no, we we um, uh, we have a manufacturing facility in Canada, um, and we also um, uh, have Australian suppliers as well. Um, but no, we 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 don't actually grow the plant ourselves. Um, there are a lot of producers that do. Um, so we we kind of have um, a, a agreements with. Um, some really good ones that provide us a lot of consistency and everything we need to manufacture the medicines into a final dose form product. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, yeah, it also provides us with good redundancy as well in case um, one supplier fails, um, you know, for whatever reason that the, the crop fails, could be um, something to do with natural circumstances, it could be personnel related, you don't know. 
Um, so it, it's good to have redundancy within your supply chain. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, believe it or not, it's the most accessible part of, um, of, of what we do is, is getting uh, what we call the biomass, the, the, the cannabis itself. Um, where you really need to be robust is in the actual manufacturing side of things because um, you know that that's where the the science comes into it i, I suppose yeah um correct me if i'm wrong cannabis is pretty a, a pretty robust plant in itself right like it, it's fairly hardy and easy to grow is that right or yeah uh, depending on on the strains hemp is is certainly an outdoor crop um and and doesn't require a whole lot of um tlc so to speak but um the medical strains are are generally um sativa and indica um and you know it's all about uh uh, breeding the plants to get the maximum amount of um flower or, or, or bud um and that means controlling night and day temperature so your climate and things like that to to make sure you get the maximum yield um because you don't want to use too much else of the plant um yeah the the good stuff's in 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 the bud gotcha gotcha i'll take a step back um so you got you sold your other business and you're getting Althea started um what was the process there did you seek outside investment you mentioned you knew someone who was out of based out of seattle i think were they involved with getting it started how did it all come together yeah, definitely for, for introductions. The the guys in North America helped me a lot and um, we um, ended up getting a white label supply agreement um, with, with a company in, in Canada and Ontario. Um, and, you know, it was always my intention to have our own brand as Althea. Um, and I knew to get products over into Australia pretty quickly, we would need contract manufacturing, which, you know, by the way, is nothing new in pharmaceuticals. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest pharmaceutical brands tend to outsource their biggest licenses. Um, so it's, it's pretty straightforward stuff. But um, yeah, we, we, we found that partner. They were open to getting the products to, um, to Australia for us. They gave us a lot of information about their um, consumer behaviour or patient behaviour. Um, and even though the, the Canadian frameworks certainly not as regulated as the Australian one. It, it gave us a good head start. Um, and then it was just about going through the regulatory stuff, um, you know, import permits and export permits and that type of thing. But that relationship, so I was still a private, Althea was still a private company um, when that was um, happening, you know, f- funded by um, us, my, me, essentially. And then um, what we would... Um, well, sorry, what it morphed into was that one and same company becoming a, a strategic investor. Um, so they, they essentially, there's two rounds, Series A, Series B. Um, and there came a point in time pretty quickly, actually, with the rate that this company was growing, where um, I had to decide whether I sold the business to them. And we essentially became an outpost for that company in Australia. Um or you know, I, I go another way and and list it, and um, I guess provide um, Australians um, access to, to owning the company, and that's what I decided to do, and and don't regret that at all. 
Um, you know, I think we've got a really good register of shareholders. We, we control our own destiny. Um, some of that, the, the stuff that that company went on to do was a little bit questionable and, and something that I probably wouldn't want to be um, too involved with. And, and, you know, we bore the brunt of that in, in a couple of instances because they were a shareholder. Um, but, you know, now we're, um, we're looking good. We've got clear air. Um, we have some really good people in the business and, um, you know, clearly if, if you're moving in the right direction, the, the equity side of things is usually there to, to support you as well, which is good. But um, yeah, we're pretty well grounded. It's, we're building a, a, well, it's now a cannabis company because we have the pharmaceutical cannabis side of the, the business and, and also the, the cannabis CPG stuff going on in, in Canada. So it's, it's well diversified now. Um, but it, it takes time, um, you know, to, to build these, these brands like Althea, for example, which is the pharmaceutical or medical cannabis brand. Um, you know, the, the closest thing I've, I've, I've come to um, is, uh, you know, comparing Althea to anyone is GW Pharma. Um, and that's a company that was started in the UK about 20 years ago. And they um, got a, a cannabis license here in the UK, actually, um, and, and went about cultivating plants, doing some research and development um, and created their own um, uh, trade name, their own drug and uh, you know, took it through trials the way that it was all done back then um, and uh, you know, got it to market. Um, and you know, what, sort of 20 years later, um, just off the back of, well, they actually have two trade names now, um, but off the back of those two cannabis-based medicines that they have, um, they just sold the company for $7.2 billion um, to, to another big pharma um, company, you know, that, that wanted to diversify their business into this space. But, uh, you know, it, it, it comes at a cost. There's an investment there. So um, I believe GW Pharma spent something like $270 million dollars in, in um, marketing um, in 2019. Um, so you've got to get your drug um, in front of doctors and give them the opportunity to learn about it before they prescribe it. And, and that's something that we've been doing from day dot. Um, you know, you, you can't buy that. You've got to go and, and do the work. Um, and you know, in the end, it becomes a, a valuable piece of IP, those relationships and, and that standing. So, yeah, that's our school of thought. It, it just takes a long time. Um, you know, I'm sure people out there would, would like to see us profitable. And even though we're pretty close to it, um, you know, the, this whole industry is also a bit of a land grab. Um, and the way I figure it, if you have the right ingredients and you've got the right recipe, um, then you know what you're making. Um, and if we can take those things and and provide them to other addressable markets um, outside of Australia, then we're kind of remiss not to. Um, and that's what we've done. So I guess we're, we're scaled for growth, um, but we've got really good support from our shareholders. And um, I think that's what, what has provided a, a good infrastructure and, and we're set for a really long and prosperous future. Yeah, that's great. It's interesting the way you got started um, because it's a pretty complex industry, right? Like if, if you have an interest in say can, um, pharmaceutical cannabis or medicinal cannabis it, in your 
you would think it would be really difficult to get started and not to discount the amount of effort you would have had to put in at the start. There are options like white labeling an existing product or licensing from other offshore manufacturers that are always available. And it sounds like you probably were able to leverage your existing skill set, right? From the, the existing business that you had, because you'd licensed from Strathfield, completely different product and industry, obviously, but kind of a similar model. Were you able to adapt those skills that you'd already developed in getting Althea off the ground? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what will make or break these companies in including um our own is their ability to um market um you know so sales marketing and 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 of course distribution is um the backbone of althea so um it, it i saw it clear as day from from um you know the very beginning and that was well if you put yourself in the consumer shoes like all the way downstream, forget about upstream and, you know, how you put the plant in the ground and how all that works. Um, what, what do the consumers want? Um, how are they going to access your product? You know, what's the setting look like? All, all those normal sort of things that you would do in any other um, uh, consumer product and work backwards. So it, it wasn't rocket science. I learned pretty quickly that to launch a drug, you had to market the drug. And then I thought, okay, well, who markets drugs? Well, pharmaceutical companies do, all right? Um, how successful are, are they at it? Well, really successful, why? Well, because they do market access. Okay, what's market access means? Well, it means that you you know, you know take your drug um, and you know through an in-field sales team, um, you, you proposition it with the doctors and you, know, you, you sort of, plead your case that this is going to help for certain indications and then you push them to give it a go. And then if the drug works, they keep prescribing it and, and the business makes sales. Um, that's oversimplifying it, but um, it, it's pretty much what you've got to do is, is the marketing side of um, the business builds your brand. Um, if you position your brand really well, you win loyalty. Um, and if you provide good service, a quality product, a great experience for all the stakeholders, why would they use another drug? Um, and doctors are humans. You know, if, if you're at the front of their mind when they're making a clinical decision, um, they will produce prescriptions for your product because they believe in it. If you're at the back of the mind or you're not even in the room, then you're not going to get a prescription and you're not going to last too long. Um, so we have this ethos within the company, which is everyday patient, uh, sorry, everyday doctors for everyday patients. And, and what that means is this industry won't become everything that it can be if um, it's, it's also reactive, right? As in, it's great that patients know a lot about their health and they're reading about all these stories on the internet, and then they're going to find someone that might be able to help them, you know, have a decent conversation, know what they're talking about, and maybe just maybe, um, you know, get access to the medicine to try it um, based off of their efforts to do so. It, it needs to be um, a lot more proactive than that. It needs to be that the doctor sees a bona fide treatment, um, you know, for, for some pretty serious diseases that we're talking about here. Um, and that it gets up there with the, the more traditional and, um, you know, licensed medicines. So we've got this great opportunity and, you know, government's really done that. Um, why? Who knows? Probably uh, to appeal to the masses and, and win support there. 
Um, but we, we have this great opportunity to supply these products. Um, and there are some really good ones out there. But it, again, if, if the doctors don't know about it, um, they're not going to prescribe it and no one's going to buy it. And then nothing happens. Yeah. Or the world's very small compared to how big it could be. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got a pretty strong sales and marketing background, Josh. Um, and, and I'm really interested in your product. Um, I'm a big fan and advocate for natural um, solute remedies. Um, and can we classify your product as a natural remedy? Is that fair? No, look, I would say it's it's as close to a herbal as, as anything. But, sure. you know, you also have to understand that um, opioids are, are made with poppies and, and poppies sure. are plants. Um, so there are other plant-based medicines, um, some that are, are less complex um, and, you know, some that are as complex as, as cannabis, but there's a lot going on with that. So, yeah, I can understand why you would view it that way. Um, but, yeah, a lot of active pharmaceutical ingredients do come from plants. Gotcha, gotcha. In any case, what I was getting to was um, sell me on the product and it, um, it if, if, if I was an investor or a doctor, um, what are the things that I should know about and be excited about with the products that you guys are developing and putting to the market? Yeah, uh, look, I'm no um, medical professional or, um, or, or scientist, so I'll keep it pretty top level. And, you know, that's the, the fact that um, medicinal cannabis products are, are non-toxic, um, you know, so they're... they're a better, um, you know, medication uh, potentially than things like Z drugs and opioids. We all know um, what sort of side effects um, they can produce, especially Sorry, what in the long term. Uh, like benzos and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's non toxic. Um, it's uh, proven to be less addictive than caffeine. Um, so despite some of the, the old wives tales, it's, it's, you know, not a gateway drug. Um, it's, it's pretty safe, um, you know, for consumption, um, just the way it is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It, I, I don't profess it to be some sort of a miracle cure. Um, do I get a lot of stories, um, fed back to me from, um, patients in, in the real world? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they're fantastic, but I know it's not going to work for everyone. Um, but it, it's, it's, there's not many medications that are 100% effective. In, in fact, I might be wrong, but I don't think there are any. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about trying to get this product into the right hands, as in if, if doctors see it as a legitimate treatment option, even if it's third line like it is at the moment, um, it will eventually get through to more and more patients and we'll only build up from that. And, you know, we've got, what, 15,000 patients in Australia now, um, you know, probably more. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to see that the option's there because in the absence of the, the framework that was made available to us and, you know, the good operators that are working hard to, to have these products there, um, we wouldn't know exactly what it can do. And clinical trials and, and data points, great. Don't get me wrong, all that stuff's necessary in, in, in moderation, of course. Um, but you, you can have the best drug in the world. Um, and if the right people don't know about it, then it will never help anyone. Yeah, absolutely. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your diversification into recreational cannabis in Canada? Yeah, so it was um, it was an interesting opportunity. We were actually about to um, uh, to build our our um, first um, uh, facility in in Melbourne, um, in Australia, actually, and you know a lot of that was cannabis growing, um, cultivation, and and also manufacturing. And you know we still have those licenses and permits, of course, but um, we decided to change um, where we wanted to invest in, in manufacturing because at the time it um, provided us an option to um, make the products in Canada and have them available in Australia, but also make a, a range of other products that could be um, supplied into the adult use or recreational um, cannabis market, which was um, just introduced back when we started looking at buying this business peak processing solutions. Um, so it, it's a funky, funky business, really, really cool. Um, they don't have any growing. So uh, the, the biomass comes from one of the 170 odd growers in Canada, licensed growers. There's a lot of them. There's an abundance of, of biomass available. Their niche um, is in the processing capabilities for cannabis. So, so taking the, the plant material itself um, and turning it into a, um, you know, a, a, a product like a cannabis infused beverage, um, topicals, um, so things like, you know, creams, um, powders, for example, the, the guys are working on a powder that, um, CBD powder actually, that just drops into any liquid, um, you know, like you would a protein um, powder or something like that. Um, they're also doing concentrates and, and live resin concentrates as well. So, you know, things like vapes and, and that sort of stuff. So it's different. Um, you know, we're not dealing uh, with doctors and we're not talking about doctors. Um, we're not dealing with patients. Um, we're dealing with fast moving goods consumers. Um, uh, and it's uh, obviously sold through a dispensary um, as opposed to sold through a pharmacy by prescription. So, you know, realistically, they are night and day, um, but it's all derived from the same plant. Um, and Peak, they do have their own in-house brands. Um, so, so things that we're selling through the, the provincial distributors, um, but their, their priorities uh, working on behalf of um, other licensed cannabis producers that um, want to bring, uh, you know, these more high growth, um, attractive products to market, but just simply don't have the manufacturing capabilities for, so they use Peak. Um, and then there's also big CPG brands. So, you know, think big alcohol, big tobacco, um, food companies and things like that, that um, see good diversification from their own primary business um, into the recreational cannabis um, uh, space. Um, and it, it does make sense. Once people get over the history and the stigma, um, you know, there's, there's lots of data out there, especially from the US and, and even Canada, where, um, you know, uh, people that are, are switching to, um, you know, cannabis products um, instead of things like alcohol and, you know, maybe hard drugs, um, you know, drink driving's down, hospitalizations from violence and things like that's down. Um, obviously, decriminal, uh, decriminalization's a, a good thing as well. And 
um, you know, you, you don't have that, um, that black market um, as much of a presence. Um, so it was good, yeah. It was just a way to invest in, I guess, getting our high quality Althea products um, that, that we service patients with but at the same time as facilitating and getting access to recreational cannabis, which um, pharmaceuticals is tortoise in the hair. Yeah, there's gonna be some people sprinting and doing some funky things to get there. Um, not a good funky, I should say, you know, some, some bad actors that um, just ignore the, the regulations as set by governing agencies like the TGA and they get quick wins. Um, but that's not sustainable. And as soon as you get found out, it's all over. Um, you know, directors can go to jail for breaching the, the TGA advertising code. And there's companies out there that do and have been for a long time. And, you know, it's just a house of cards. Whereas, again, being ethical, um, we're, we're, we're certainly the tortoise. Um, but, you know, by the time we get to where we want to be, um, you know, we hope that it's going to be unstoppable and, and one of those brands that, um, is, is um, you know, really built its place in, in, in pharma and that will be attractive to, um, to the right suitors and strategic investors, I'm sure. Um, but recreational cannabis is um, fast, as in, you know, it's, it's, it's high growth, high margin. Um, and we just figured that investment at the time, um, although it was very foreign to um, Australians um, because we don't have a recreational mm. cannabis market in Australia. Um, we're really confident it was the right move and, um, you know, the, the investment will pay us back. Um, and we're already seeing that. They've signed a lot of contracts already and revenue starting to come in and um, we, we're, we're getting a first-hand look at the trends, right, that these consumers... Um, are, are creating when they buy these products and customers are paying us um, to make the products that these people are buying um, and all of that IP um, is coming our way and that puts us in a really good position for when other countries um, open up recreational um, legislation. You know, a big one that's on the horizon might well be the US um, and there's lots of our customers and and probably customers in the future that will use Canada as a good test case for, for their brand and their ambitions with the ultimate goal of moving into the, the US. Um, and if we play our cards right, you know, um, be a good service provider, I'm sure that gets us access to the, the market there as well. And then there's Mexico and now there's talk about Germany and um, some other countries, first world countries that might well legalise recreational cannabis within five years. Australia might be one of them too. It'll be a small market, but, um, you know, in terms of the addressable market, um, it will be much bigger than, uh, than pharmaceutical cannabis products. So that's what we talk about when we, we talk about related diversification. Um, it's the same industry, cannabis, if you want to look at it that way, but two completely different sectors um, both highly regulated and, and, you know, both with big barriers to entry. Um, but we, we think we're in a prime position in both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned Australia being a, a smaller market, but I think the alcohol industry is worth over 10 billion per year. Right. And is given that this is a potential, um, alternative to alcohol, <laughs> there's still a lot of market there to be had. Do you think in, say, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that we'll look back on now and 
even the last few decades and think that how crazy it was that cannabis wasn't legal or more legalized than it is at the moment? Yeah, I think so. It'll just be one of those sliding doors things. Um, and, you know, it, it's where it is for a reason. Um, and, uh, you know, that's because, uh, what, back in the 20s or whatever it was in the US, um, you know, when prohibition was the thing to do, um, they went after alcohol and they went after marijuana, um, you know, as they were calling it on their posters and things like that. And, you know, one of them came back a lot more quickly and the other one's just having a, a renaissance now. Um, but I think it's inevitable. Um, people deserve, um, you know, the, the opportunity to experience things, um, you know, in, in their social lives and people drink alcohol, in my opinion anyway, and just my opinion, um, because it's intoxicating. It's a way to relax and have a good time. Um, the problem is the, the side effects, not just the hangovers, but long-term use and what it does to your body. Um, and, you know, I, I truly believe and I'm not a user of adult use cannabis myself, um, but I advocate for it because I see the safety um, elements of it and the fact that, um, you know, you don't get hung over for one. Um, it's, it's a lot healthy for you, healthier for you, depending on, on how you consume it. But the stuff that Peak's working on. Um, you know, they're all really good um, preparations in terms of administration, um, you know, smoking joints and things like that, I think, you know, kind of has a place with the, the early adopters, you know, the people that are just changing from the black market to the, the, the licit market, but where the excitement is and the growth is actually in, you know, guys like you, um, you know, younger people that, um, you know, want, want a more healthy option because you're into health and fitness and, and lifestyle um, and you want to keep doing that, but have some fun occasionally. Mm. Um, and I don't think it hurts anyone. So I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, I agree with your sentiment there. Absolutely. Are there any um, performance benefits of the, like the stuff that you're developing through peak? in terms of uh, outside of the, you know, recreational and, you know, like relaxing and all that sort of thing, but is there any yeah. um, applications for performance? Yeah, definitely. So there's um, cannabidiol or CBD um, uh, can be used as uh, anti-inflammatory. Um, so, you know, for things like sports recovery, muscle recovery and that type of thing. Um, I think we've already got a customer that's bringing one of those products to market, like a, a um, uh, topical. Um, but there is also, um, you know, instances where people use it as pre-workout and that type of thing as well as, a, as an energizer. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, there's also CTE. Um, so I don't know a lot about this space. I've, I've only sort of heard it through different conversations uh, around the traps. Um, but there are some some companies looking at uh, you know bringing out those products as like a, a pre-game and post-game um, way to I guess address CTE. Um, how it works, I, I don't know. You know for, for head knocks and all that sort of stuff. But um, apparently the data is positive. So yeah, there's a few different things they're using it for in terms of like sporting. If, if that's what you were you were talking about that industry. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, um, really appreciated the time chatting, Josh. Um, and it, it, I could probably talk to you for another hour, to be honest, but I don't want to keep you up all night and you're probably exhausted from a big day already. Um, I will ask one more question, which you like to ask all our guests, though, um, which is what is the number one piece of advice you'd give to anyone who's thinking about starting or currently in the process of starting their own business? There's no shortcuts. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the best thing um, I could advise is, you know, there's there's temptation to take shortcuts, um, but you know, I think you've you've just got to believe that if you if you build it the right way, um, and you know, your business is sound, that the rest will fall into place. Um, whereas shortcuts will only land you in trouble eventually. Great advice. I think that's the first time we've had that as well. So oh. I really like that. Um, and it's especially relevant for you guys, obviously. And I love the thorough approach that you're taking and your strategy sounds super solid, I think. And I hope that you guys will benefit from it in the long term. I'm sure you will. Um, I think it's really commendable. So thanks again for taking the time, Josh, and staying up a bit later tonight. Um, and yeah, all the best for Althea. Look forward to seeing you guys popping up more and more and fingers crossed regulations change in the near future in Australia so we can see some of those more um, FMCG type products coming through as well. Sounds good, yeah. Thanks very much for having me, Dan. Appreciate Cheers, it. Josh. See you, mate. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Sticky Beak. If you've got any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics you'd like us to cover, just send it through to info at stickybeak.com.au.